Good morning. We're going to start a series called Exodus. I know. I kind of buried the lead there, didn't I? Uh, we're starting a series called Exodus. For the next couple of weeks, we're going to be discussing this um, most important narrative in the Scripture. Uh, other than Jesus, what we did last week, Exodus is pretty much a big deal. Uh, this is a huge deal in the history and life of people of faith uh, everywhere. Um, but Exodus is one of these centerpiece moments in which we get to examine and say, how did God work there? And then also apply that to our own lives to say, how, if he's working there in that way, how then will he work today and in my life? I've wanted to do this series for a while. Um, I've had this kind of thought as I've been studying Exodus and going through it and working through it last two years, honestly, of seeing Exodus and seeing the things that Moses does and then also seeing what Jesus does and how they mirror each other in this beautiful way where as God uses Moses thousands and thousands of years ago to liberate his people from bondage, Jesus echoes on a macro scale. Moses does some amazing things, and Jesus just says, oh, I'm going to take that up to 11. And he just boosts it all. There's a spinal tap quote for some of you. You can't smile or laugh at that. It's okay. Well, the guys are like, mm, I don't know if I can laugh at a spinal tap quote. Well, that's okay. You can. He boosts it all up. He takes it up. He, he moves the volume level up. And then I started thinking about that, these same truths of how Moses takes his people out of bondage. Jesus takes the world and humanity out of bondage. But those same truths are for us today and where we can step out of bondage ourselves through the same act of God. And so I want to talk about that today, and we're going to delve into that over the next few weeks as well. The main point for today is that oppression can become opportunity and bondage can become backstory. That oppression can become opportunity and bondage becomes backstory. That oppression doesn't have to be the thing that defines you as a person and your past and your baggage doesn't have to be the only thing that divines you. It's who I was, and now look at me now. Does this make sense? This is a big deal because often we get stuck in our stuff and we can't get out of it. It's like we're treading water all the time. And I can tread water for a long time, but I'm not going anywhere. I'm not doing anything. I'm just barely surviving. I'm not really living. And so we want to examine how that looks today, that oppression can become our opportunities and bondage become our backstory. There's these things, this message is entitled, The Empire Strikes Back. There's a big, uh, big release of Star Wars digital stuff this week that I geeked out over, um, so it made its way into the sermon notes. But there's something that, that Moses has and Jesus has in common is that they both are facing the greatest empires that the world has ever seen. 
Egypt is an empire of empires. It is basically what started the whole idea of being an empire. For thousands of years, it was an empire. Not for like, you know, the British Empire lasted like 150 years. We're like, woo, that's amazing. Think of all the stuff that they kind of matriculated into culture all over the world. The Egyptians had an empire for thousands of years. Not just a decade, not just a century, not just five or six hundred years like Rome did, but for thousands of years. So to think about that on, a, on a, like an epoch scale, no one has ever known at this time of Moses in Egypt that wasn't an empire. Like, they're looking around like, huh. No, they've always been the big boy on campus. They put the super in superpower. They put the power in superpower as well. They did the whole thing. And so this is the, the player on the field, that uh, Egypt. We often, we get our Charlton Heston on when we think of Exodus. We, we think of this new movie. We think of uh, Prince of Persia, the animated film. If you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. You, you think those things, and we're like, oh, we know how the story ends. But to think about it, this is the biggest empire the world has ever seen. And Moses is asked to go up to the ruler of this empire and be like, so could you, like, give me a million people out of your workforce and we're going to leave? Sound like a good idea? How about Tuesday? Right? And it's not just a person. Moses, we always think of the prince of Egypt. We think of this really cool thing. He is, he's going to warrant out for his arrest. He killed a guy. Right? He killed a guy. He ran away to the desert for 40 years. He's been on the run for 40 years and and this is the guy, he comes back, this murderer. Like, hey, uh, so you want to let these uh, million people leave? That'd be great. That's the context of this. Jesus finds himself in pretty much the same kind of context where he, he finds himself facing a huge empire. The Roman Empire is one of the most influential empires the world's ever known as well. These two things are, are thousands of years apart, except Rome is so important. But because of the way in which Rome is situated, because of the way in which Rome has absolute authority, and the way in which they conquest the whole world, they conquer the whole known world, it enables this time when Jesus is there to have more effective, be more effective than, than he could have at any other time. Imagine this, before Rome and its roads and its commerce are in play, the whole known world would have been about the size of Illinois, Indiana, Michigan. That's your world. That's everywhere you would have ever traveled. After Rome comes with their roads, with their commerce, with their armies, with their stability, the known world basically goes from Illinois to Montana. quadrupling the size of your whole world scope. And you could actually travel there. It wasn't like Montana is this moon. It kind of feels that way if you go out there. But it wasn't like, like oh, well, Montana one day. No, oh, let's, let's get in this trade caravan. We're going to Montana. We could do this. It opened up the whole world because of this road structure. These empires are going on. They, 
they are oppressive empires. They are burdening people with taxes. They're burdening people. In the Egyptian empire, they're saying, hey, you are actually a slave. You wake up when I tell you to wake up. You make what I tell you to make. You eat what I tell you to eat. You go to bed when I tell you to go to bed. In fact, if I want to kill all of your boys, I will kill all of your boys. They are an oppressive empire. Rome's the same thing. Think about when Jesus is born. Hey, I want you all to go to your town, register. You're going to leave. You're going to stop whatever you're going to do. You're going to take the census. You're going to do all the things that you do there. Look at how Jesus is, if you read the, uh, the Herod account of Jesus, he's also killing all the little boys. Where would you hear that before? If you've heard the Exodus account over and over again, if you haven't, if this is all new to you, read the first couple chapters of Exodus. It's one of the most interesting, fast-paced books of the Bible um, that you can read. But these, these two stories are just kind of... And we find ourselves today... Now, I'm not calling America this evil empire. I want to be very clear with that. But there are smatterings of empireness. We have opportunities unlike we've ever had before. There's this little thing called the Internet. Maybe you've used it. It is the easiest way to communicate with people that the world has ever seen. Where have we heard this before? It is a, a boon to everyone in Christianity. We use it often for stupid reasons and cat videos. You guys are all playing your favorite cat video in your head. <laughs> we use it for silly reasons, but really, it is the greatest evangelism tool that the world's ever seen. We actually had a whole two-hour meeting in, our, in my office this week with the staff about how we can leverage online presence. We had a two-hour elder meeting this week on how we can leverage online presence because guess what? The internet is a whole lot bigger than these four walls, Right? And so we were like, okay, how, how does this work? What does this look like? We don't even know. Well, let's dream. But I digress. Because of the empire, Moses gets to see the greatness of God. Because of the empire, Moses gets to see the greatness of God. Because all everything is stacked against him. Pharaoh's not just like stacking the deck. He already has four aces in his hand. He already has, he's like, no, I win. And Moses walks into that room going, hey, uh, you want to let my people go? No. You were lucky I didn't kill you on sight. Why am I even talking to you? But because of the absurdity of the situation, we get to see the greatness of God. Instead of wilting under the pressure, which Moses really badly wants to wilt. If you read the, 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 the narrative, he's always like, I don't want to do this. I don't talk good. I don't, I don't want to. I'm whiny. I don't know, it's like the second biggest hero of the Bible. I'm calling a whiner. Okay, I know. I'm one too. It's all right. <laughs> because of the empire, Moses gets to see the greatness of God. In Exodus chapter 5, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is the Lord, the God of Israel says, Let my people go so that they may hold a festival to, to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go. I do not know the Lord. No, I'll let Israel go. What are you talking about? And it goes on and on and on. And this, there's this battle. And there's some of these epic comings and goings between the empire and what causes Pharaoh to actually let the people go. But think about the circumstances of this. 
the circumstances of this moment of saying, I'm going to walk up to Pharaoh and say, I want you to let your uh, slave labor go. The basis in which you have made your economic foundations, why don't you uh, just let us go? We had something similar like this happen in uh, American history. I've learned this this week. This is really interesting. Frederick Douglass is an escaped slave. An escaped slave. He has no business talking to anybody. He should have been just like running away. Frederick Douglass becomes the most powerful orator of the late uh, 1850s, early uh, 1860s, right before the Civil War. And he's always, he is the prime person talking about emancipation, abolishing slavery. This is an a, a African-American Black, okay, getting that in there, slave, former slave, around Washington, D.C. This is not the best place for him to be right now. And he walks up to these power brokers, gets meetings with presidents to say, hey, why don't you let my people go? I, I was baffled by this as I did the research for this week. But think about the... And he, where did he learn to preach? Where did he learn to speak? Pulpit. It's amazing to think about. It's amazing to think about these audacity, audacity it took to try to speak freedom into a place where there was only oppression. The thing about being a slave and to say, you know what, I need my people to be free. that we get to echo this same type of audacity. In some of our lives, we have bondage. Maybe we're not slaves in a physical sense to, to someone else. But I would guess that we are slaves. We are in bondage to other things. Maybe it's habits. Maybe it's drugs. Maybe it's the money. Maybe it's the bills. And to have the audacity to say, you know what, I'm going to have freedom in this. Because in that desperation, in that oppression, we get to see the greatness of God. If we didn't have the oppression, if we didn't get to see these crazy circumstances, we'd think we did it all ourselves. And Moses gets to be a, a prime spectator of this amazing move of God. Because of the empire in Jesus' day, he uses it to his advantage. He uses that, Ro that Roman road structure that I just talked about to his advantage. In Acts 1, verse 8, he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will become my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Like I already talked about, the ends of the earth grew exponentially because of Rome. The gospel, the good news, this whole idea that we talked about last week, that the world can change, that God is, was died on the cross for our sins, and now he is not held by death, but has defeated death, can be sent all over the world because of the very empire that killed him. Do you see that? That's one of the great ironies of history. And that, that irony can, ex it can exist and does exist in our own lives. The very things that hold us down 
and beat us down offer the greatest opportunities for God to work in our lives. What's the switch? It's when we become, there's this thing in Christianity called the kingdom of God. And it's talked over and over and over again in the Gospels. Jesus is always talking about the kingdom of God. And the switch is when we become kingdom-minded instead of empire-driven. What does that mean? I think we're kingdom-minded when we love first. We are empire-minded when we take what is mine. A a kingdom-minded serves first. An empire-driven person oppresses. A kingdom-minded person, it's all for God's glory. And an empire-minded person is, it's all for our glory. And if we do a quick evaluation of our motives and our drives and, and what we take care of and what we do, if this is our litmus test, if this is the... Is that how are we doing? Are we empire-driven or kingdom-minded? We might find ourselves in a place we don't really want to be. Do we love first? Do we serve first? Do we do it for God's glory? Or if we're honest with ourselves, is it for our own glory? Because of the kingdom... We have power and support. This is the role of the Holy Spirit, to be the comforter and guide. Often we get so caught up in our circumstances that we don't even think about depending on the Holy Spirit to get us through. When we don't step into this power and this support, we're, we're missing out on on the very thing that has defeated empires throughout the ages. One of the most beautiful things about being a Christian is we have the same access to this overwhelming power, this overwhelming support, this overwhelming comfort that the men of the Bible, men and women of the Bible that had stepped out against oppression in their lives have. We can step into their very same story. What does it look like to step into these kingdom problems and to have this kind of kingdom reassurance? I think the first thing we do is we have a sense of expectation. All throughout the scripture, people have a sense of expectation when the Holy Spirit is is up to something. They have a sense of expectation that, that something's going to change. When we are going through our stuff, it's real easy not to expect God to move at all. It's real easy just to say, this is the way it is. And it's the way it's always going to be. But if I think about all the, uh, the men and women of the Bible who, who did amazing things, who stepped out of oppression and started defeating different uh, enemies of, of God or enemies of the state or any number of the stories, if you read Judges, over and over again, there's these men that are found just doing this little bit of something. And God says, I'll use you. Moses has this sense of expectation. He doesn't want to go talk to Pharaoh. But there takes something. You have to actually know that 
yeah, he's going to let us go. What what would that look like? Walking into that room. Like, Pharaoh, we're going to need you to let my people go. We're going to go do a thing. It's going to be fun. Barbecue. Some lamb. It's going to be nice. Have this expectation. I wonder what the, what the thought after this was. If Moses, Moses was like, I told you, God. I told you he wasn't going to go for it. He's like, hey, what, what happened here? That the sense of expectation is what, one of the things that makes this story so grand and so beautiful and so wonderful. When we want to step into kingdom-mindedness in our own lives, we need to have a sense of expectation that God will show up and God will do what he has promised. That God will turn our oppression into opportunity, our baggage into backstory. Second thing about kingdom is it requires movement on our part. Moses has to go talk to Pharaoh. People have to move forward in their faith. It might just be one little step and God's like, I got it from here. I just needed to see that movement, that change. And God takes that and does something beautiful and amazing with it over and over and over again. It requires movement. Some of us are so stuck in our junk that we don't want to move. We just want to pile trash around ourselves. But I I don't know about you, but I'm tired of my baggage defining me. I'm tired of the pain of, of past mistakes being the only thing that that I think about. Being in the kingdom of God, being a part of Jesus' followers is about having victory over that past. About having victory over that stuff, about those things, about that thing that may have been done to you, that thing that you did. Think about it. God takes a murderer, and makes him the greatest leader of the Bible outside of Jesus. None of us probably have that much baggage in our past. Moses at some point saw that burning bush and said, you know what, I'm going to start walking towards that thing. That is weird. It just takes a little movement. To turn our so that God will turn our oppression into opportunity and our bondage into backstory. As we think about the kingdom, as we think about being Christ followers, because that's really all a kingdom means. I want to think about our past and our stuff. I've been thinking a lot about that this week. About the things God said, you know what, this was bad. This was a dumb choice, Jared. And trust me, there's a lot of stuff that I regret and things I go, man, I wish that wasn't part of my story. But there's, then there's this moment of, wow, how is God going to use that today? How is God going to use that tomorrow? The trick is not to keep on doing the same thing. <laughs> it's okay that if it's in your past, let's leverage it for good. I don't know where that hits you today and where that finds you today. I think lots of us find ourselves in a place that just kind of relive the past over and over and over again. And we're on some weird, sick treadmill of regret and of pain. 
And God's telling us, you know what, I got a better story for you than that. I can leverage all that history. I can leverage all that stuff and do something amazing with it. Because over and over again in the scripture, over and over and over again, he turns it into good. He turns it into good. He turns it into good. And he wants to do the same thing for you. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today. Lord, thank you for um, thank you for who you are and thank you for what you're doing. Lord, I ask you for those of us in this room right now that have this junk. We have this past and we have this stuff. Lord, I ask you right now to take the pressure off of that. God, some of us can't see what you're doing. We can't see how you have re, are going to remake us. We, all we can see is the pain. All we can see is the baggage. And Lord, right now, I, I ask you to lift that burden from our shoulders. That sometime in this week that we can start to see opportunity. That who I was does not have to be who I am anymore because of you, Jesus because of your forgiveness, because of your power, because of your comfort. Lord, we want that. We want more of it. I want to have a beautiful story with you, Jesus. In your wonderful name I pray. Amen.